Welcome everybody to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker back with you for a, another fantastic interactive class. Today we're going to be talking about the doppelganger effect. So we're going to be diving into the world of doppelgangers and what these things may actually be. We'll get into some stories and legends and kind of break things down. I uh, do want to note real quick, though, for those that are listening to the podcast version later, whether that's on Spotify, iHeartRadio, KUNX, KPNL, KGRA, wherever you are listening to this later on or the audio version, please join us for the full interactive class Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock p.m., ConnectedUniversePortal.com. A lot of great material out there. Of course, you get the weekly interactive class where you get to see the the full slideshow, ask your questions. Sometimes we have video segments, but there's also a lot of great information down on the back end as well. Monthly Q&A videos, you have the full 12-hour uh, you know, Egypt uh, experience that's back there, the American Southwest tour, the Ireland tour will be coming up uh, here soon. We have uh, you know, weekly blogs, behind the scenes video, sneak peeks of Shadow Dimension, just posted a little bit of that here recently. So a lot of material on the back end, as well as uh, a plethora of fantastic articles. So that's connecteduniverseportal.com. All right. So the class question for tonight was, have you ever experienced deja vu? If so, what happened? And it looks like I left that banner up. So I'll take that down. And also we'll remove that one. So. Have you, ever, have you ever experienced deja vu? If so, what happened? So, uh, Connie Mayanecki uh, chimed in and said, constantly, what I find most interesting is once I think to myself, hey, this has happened before, poof, the deja vu is over, as if it noticed me consciously acknowledging it. Why is that? Uh, that is a fantastic question, and I don't know if there's like one simple answer for this, because as we get into this evening, uh, I think we're going to see that it does have a lot to do with the inner workings of the universe, with consciousness, with the way things resonate and vibrate through various dimensions. I'm not going to throw it all out there at this moment, but these are the types of things that we're going to explore and kind of, you know, try to figure out, okay, what exactly is going on here, whether it's deja vu, doppelganger, um, you know, could even be a, uh, you know, a shadow or an apparition that we are looking at. Uh, these things are definitely all related. This is also going to be a chapter in my upcoming book, Connecting the Universe, The Doppelganger Effect. So when that book comes out and you read that chapter, you're going to be like, hey, some of that sounds really familiar because you heard it here first on Connecting the Universe. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, and get into, well, we're starting with, with deja vu, right? And this has kind of been, uh, I guess, popular here over the last 20 or so years with the, the Matrix franchise and that a, uh, you know, uh, a deja vu is a glitch in the Matrix. They even made a reference to this in the television show Dark, where... Uh, uh, the one girl said that uh, she felt like she was ha having uh, deja vu and uh, the boy responded, well, deja vu is a glitch, glitch in the matrix. So 
even in modern television shows, they are referencing the whole glitch in the matrix thing. And what deja vu means is French or it's French and it means uh, already seen. So it's basically that feeling that one has lived through the present situation before, which is kind of what, uh, what Connie was talking about. And, you know, the way that uh, the, the matrix franchises uh, address this is that if it's something that is familiar to you, something that feels familiar to you, it seems like something you've already seen before, you have. And that is the universe that they're in uh, trying to course correct itself, trying to change something. Uh, there's some sort of modification being done within the universe. And therefore, you end up seeing a little bit of something again. And that's kind of interesting. Um, we're not really going to get into simulated universe so much this evening. You guys know I like to uh, to talk about that. But uh, before we get into doppelgangers, this is kind of a little you know background. Keep it in the back of your mind as uh, we go through some of these different topics, and we'll come back around uh, later on. So uh, Carl Jung uh, chimed in on this when he talked about the collective unconscious. So uh, basically, the collective unconscious is the idea that each person is connected with a universal experience of the human race. Uh, this is actually a part of consciousness we didn't talk about last week. But uh, and I have a very interesting story. Some of you guys have heard the story before about myself and the Rocky movies and tapping into the collective unconscious and that as a child um i like knew without really saying oh i know what's going to happen in the rocky movies uh, but you know i was a writer i've been a writer like ever since i was you know really small and the stories that i was writing pertaining because you know it was basically like fan fiction from a seven-year-old um they were spot on for what ended up happening in in the franchise and then comments that i was making to people later on oh wouldn't it be great if you know, this happened, or I missed this from the earlier movies. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, movie comes out you know, five years later, and there's that concept. So it's like I was tapping into a little bit of whatever Stallone was tapping into for, uh, you know, from the collective unconscious to put those movies together. Not going to dive too much into consciousness uh, this evening, but kind of touching on it a little bit here and there throughout Following up a little bit from last week's uh, discussion on, on consciousness, and that was one aspect that we didn't. So the, those five minutes we chopped off at the end of the class last week, you could have talked about that, I guess. Uh, but also, um, when talking about the collective unconscious, deja vu, what have you, um, Jung kind of continues on with this uh, type of idea. So when someone activates a memory, they are receiving information from the collective memory, which kind of explains a deja vu phenomenon, not fully, but in some ways. And currently, quantum physics research speaks of the existence of parallel universes that we interact with or uh, tune into simultaneously. And in those cases, deja vu may be caused by the information flow that we have access to at different times. So, collective unconscious there 
in a sense of a parallel universe that we're, we're picking up ideas from that parallel universe. We've talked a little bit about that here recently. Of course, the ideas of um, you know, the, the research there down in Antarctica, where they're finding evidence of a possible parallel universe running in reverse time. And we've, we've discussed that a, a little bit here. And we'll, of course, come back around to that at, a, at another time. We're not getting into parallel universes here this evening. But, uh, but keep all that stuff in the back of your mind, because we're going to come, uh, come back and circle around to it uh, later on. So we're starting with what we said, doppelgangers. Okay, what's a doppelganger? So basically, doppelganger, it's a German word, uh, which essentially means double walker. Uh, but usually when we think of doppelgangers, we think of a supernatural phenomenon, which has created a lookalike version of us, some sort of copy. And in some historic traditions, this copy is a quote unquote evil twin. Uh, we're also not talking about celebrity lookalikes here. <laughs> when I did my, uh, the, the doppelganger video that I mentioned out on YouTube a couple years ago, um, there's a couple months there where I hired a video editor. And when that video first came back to me, the whole intro piece was celebrity lookalikes. And it's like, how in the world did you get that from like all the material that I had written up for the episode? How in the world did you get that out of everything that I sent you? Definitely not talking about that. But this idea that there is a supernatural entity that can mimic us, take a form of us and therefore uh, do different things in our likeness. Again, that, that evil twin sort of concept. Just be kind of forthcoming uh, with you here. I'm going to dispel that a little bit here, but before I do, let's take a look at some of the you know, traditions throughout history of what a sort of doppelganger may be. Uh, we're gonna take that starting with ancient Egypt, of course. This is actually my photograph from the uh, from the Cairo Museum. It's a statue of Hor Aribra, uh, King Hor Aribra. And basically, you know, early concepts of doppelgangers uh, when it comes to Egypt have to do with the human soul, and that the whole or that the soul uh, is split into seven different parts. Some traditions, some texts that you that you read may say nine, most say seven. So there's a little leeway. But in any case, one of those parts is the ka, which is the animating part of the soul, the life force or the spirit, or also known as the double of the physical form. And in the uh, ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs, that's represented with the double arms. So when you see double arms like that on the top of the king statue here, you'll, and you'll see the double arms like all over the place. But on this particular, it's, it's on the top of this particular statue. When you see that, that means we're talking about the Ka. Now, this was actually found in his tomb. Uh, the, the statue here dates back to the 13th dynasty uh, around 1750 BC. Like I said, this was found in his tomb and the most likely purpose of the statue Again, we don't know exactly um, anybody that says that they do. Well, take away the grain of salt. But we believe that uh, 
this statue was used for the Ka part of the soul to inhabit it. So that um, if the Ka uh, emerged, that it could have some sort of vessel to inhabit. So you have, again, the idea of a, uh, of a double in that was the soul and they actually provided this statue for the soul to go into so that it could if it so chose to move around a lot of ancient egyptian tombs also had doorways so uh once the uh ka was because the ka was not here permanently the ka was only here for a certain period of time and then it would join the rest of the parts of the soul in the constellation of Orion, except for the shadow, the cabit. The shadow was left to roam here on Earth. We've talked about that one many times before. But for a time, a doppelganger, the ka, of the uh, you know of the person was here on Earth for a while. And then when it was ready, it would use that doorway, find Anubis, uh, take the boat, and go on to uh, go on to the constellation of Orion. So early form of, of doppelganger there. So let me uh, take a look at some of your uh, comments here. Um, yeah, yeah, dark. Uh, I agree that that became my uh, favorite all-time show when, when I saw that. So, all right. So we're going to move on here to Norse mythology. And in Norse mythology... A Vardiger is a type of phantom predecessor performing a person's actions before they even do it. You can see the artwork here. You have two images of the same person. One's a little fuzzy there. So this type of doppelganger is somewhat like a ghostly version of deja vu in which the spirit mimics the human in their walk, talk, and appearance just before they arrive on the scene confusing witnesses who could have sworn they just saw the person do the exact same thing. So you, you take the scene here and kind of imagine here, if you will, um, you know, you got the, you know, it looks like a father with, with the son walking into the, um, the building here. Maybe it's his home. I mean, it might even be a bar of some sort because there's a vessel there on the, on the table or you know, whatever that is. Um, but in any case, what would happen? So he appears just before the real guy walks in and then ends up disappearing. And then you have you see the guy in the doorway back there walking in. So this sort of uh, it it is a type of deja vu because you know you see the person, they're gone, and then they're 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 there. Uh, it's also kind of a uh, almost like a premonition sort of thing. It's also almost like a mirror, you know, something happening just seconds beforehand. It could even be seen as maybe a possible time slip. And we will talk a little bit more about uh, time slips here coming up uh, with, with some of these other stories. But uh, this is... in an interesting tradition from, from Norse mythology. Uh, it's called a Vardiger. 
There's also, I found a, a band named Vardiger. So when I was doing research on that, I kept coming across all of these, these band photos. I think they're a Swedish band. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was definitely kind of fun. So, all right. So since we're going to Ireland here in just, it's what, less than, uh, less than a month now. So at the end of this month, um, Anseline down there is uh, going to be joining us. Is Jin LeBay in the house? Because Jin is coming as well. So a couple of our uh, keepers of the Connected Universe here joining us on the, the Ireland tour. So I would be remiss not to talk about the Michael and Bridget Cleary story. I mentioned this a little bit here a couple of weeks ago. I'll talk about it in a little bit more detail because this does have a, a uh, doppelganger component to the story. So Michael and Bridget Cleary, uh, this tragic incident happened in 1895 when Michael thought that uh, Bridget had basically, uh, that she was no longer there, that the, the person that had come home was a, uh, a fairy changeling or doppelganger who looked exactly like uh, his wife. So the idea is that in uh, a lot of Irish fairy mythology and folklore, the fairies can kidnap a person, take them to the fairy realm, and replace them in our world with this changeling or doppelganger who looks exactly like the person that they've kidnapped. So Michael thought this of Bridget. And when she became very ill, he eventually murdered her, thinking that he was destroying an evil fairy. So a little bit of background here on, on Bridget and Michael. Again, 1895. So um, this was, you know, 130 years ago. Doesn't It's actually not that long ago, if you think about it. So Bridget was a seamstress. She also sold eggs on the side to make some extra cash. And the area that they were in, uh, Tempranet, I can't ever say it, Tempranetti, um, it was filled with, with lore uh, and legends of the little people, fairies, uh, Bridget herself is said to have been fascinated by fairies, and she often visited a ring fort when she delivered eggs to her father's cousin, Jack Dunn. Although the locals in the area warned that you know, ring forts should be avoided because of the fairies, but she was fascinated by the fairies, and she was interested in learning more about them, interacting, that sort of thing. So many, many times she would stop by the ring fort and spend some time there. So when this incident with Michael began to occur, it was after she had delivered eggs to, to Jack Dunn, uh, likely stopping by the fort. Uh, that part of the story is kind of speculation. We don't know exactly for sure if she did, but you know they at least believed she did. And when she got home, it was a cold day. She said that she could not warm up when she got home. And... The following day, she was shivering and complaining of raging pain in her head. So she was getting ill. Doctor arrived a couple of days later. That was back in the day where you, you didn't take somebody to go see the doctor. The doctor would make house calls. They finally got the doctor there after a couple of days. He diagnosed her with 
quote unquote, nervous excitement and slight bronchitis. Prescribed her some medicine, which Michael, in his ultra religious beliefs, um, did not believe uh, would would work. He, he did not believe in in the taking of this medicine. Michael believed that, or somehow convinced himself that the woman that was laying ill in his bed was too fine to be his wife and was two inches taller. Now, the idea of all that may have been planted in his head by Dunn. Uh, he was a, lo a local shanshe or a local folklorist who was very well versed in fairy mythology. So she delivers the eggs to Dunn, the, the, kind of setting it up here. She delivers the eggs to Dunn. She stops by the ring fort, which people keep saying, don't go by the ring fort. Dunn may have seen her go to the, the ring fort, or maybe he knew that she frequently did that. So when she came home and she was sick and all these different things were going on, he kind of puts into Michael's head, well, you know, either she stopped by the ring fort or she always goes by that ring fort or whatever. So she may have been kidnapped by the fairies and what you have on your hands right now is, is a doppelganger. It's not her. It's a, it's a fairy changeling doppelganger. It's not her that you're dealing with. So continuing on here, uh, and I'm not going to get into the gory details of, of the actual murder itself. Cause it was, it was pretty brutal. Um, but Michael and other relatives performed uh, many horrible acts upon Bridget to try to drive out the fairy, the, the fairy changeling. Uh, at one point, Bridget said to Michael, your mother used to go with the fairies, and that is why you think I'm going with them, which he, he flipped. It absolutely enraged him. He ultimately killed her, but it's unclear whether it was a physical blow that killed her or when he set her body on fire. Um, that's the one gory detail that I'll, I'll give you. Um, she was beaten, abused, eventually set on fire. And then he went to go hide the body. Um, from my understanding, if, if I recall correctly here, uh, he actually left for a little while. Um, I think he was getting some help, <laughs> if I recall. Um, but in any case, they went to go and, uh, and buried the body, which of course was was uh, discovered. There are eight people in all from his family that were arrested for this horrible act. Uh, you know, they served jail time. Michael spent 15 years. Nobody was convicted of murder. Uh, it was it was all manslaughter because they were apparently considered out of their minds at the time when this happened. That they didn't seriously know what they were doing. Very, very sad indeed. And Michael, uh, years later when he was released, 1910, so he spent 15 years, uh, he said, God knows I would never do it but for Jack Dunn. It was he who told me my wife was a fairy. So he did uh, blame everything on, on Jack Dunn. And you can see the news article here uh, from the newspaper, April 6, 1895, my, my daughter's birthday, ball dates, uh, putting out the fairies, you know, the witch of Clonmel. So in 
it, it it's the account uh, that was actually in the newspaper then. And of course, there's the Irish nursery rhyme with which people are uh, fairly familiar with. Are you a witch or are you a fairy? Or are you the wife of Michael Clary? So very sad indeed. But I'll say this. Even though there's a lot of doppelganger elements in that story, it's not a real doppelganger story. You know, because basically she was not she was not a doppelganger she was bridget right and um they in their delusions uh in their minds created her into a fairy changeling doppelganger thing even though she wasn't and essentially murdered her so what would then be the case of a real doppelganger now that's delusional people. We saw earlier some different religious beliefs like in ancient Egypt or some folklore uh, uh, type things from Norse mythology. So what's an actual real doppelganger case? So let's take a look at that. And, um, and Sarah has a question here uh, real quick. Quick, where did it just go? Everything kind of moved on me. Let's go back to the comments here. Okay. Would a doppelganger have a different resonance than the observer? So we'll kind of get into that here in a little bit um, as we get into some of these different cases. And Tom, wish I had a doppelganger is the question I would ask him. Well, you may be asking yourself, and we'll see that with this story here. And like Connie, uh, be very helpful. Send my doppelganger ahead to get dinner started. Then I show up and it's ready. Awesome. Well, you could send yourself to go get dinner for sure. All right. So Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, the 18th century German poet. Fascinating story here. So in his autobiography, Dichtung und Wahrheit, or in English, Poetry and Truth, Goethe recounted a confrontation he once had with his own doppelganger. So he was on the road traveling to Drusenheim to visit a young woman with whom he was having an affair. He was distressed at the time, lost in his own thoughts, um, not really sure what he was distressed about unless okay he was having an affair so maybe he's you know distressed about getting caught but in any case um so he's he's walking uh down the road and at one point Goethe glanced up for a moment and spotted a man dressed in a gold trimmed gray suit and you kind of look at this painting here and, and you see in the painting that's kind of like a dark gray color and maybe the lining is kind of a silverish, but you, know, you could kind of construe it goldish. So is I I wonder looking at this painting, is this the is this the suit that he's talking about? I don't know. But just as quickly as Guta spotted this man in this gold trimmed gray suit, the man suddenly vanished. Totally shocking. You know, you, you would remember that one for a while if somebody just kind of disappeared right in front of you. You know, here's this unusual man in the in a gold trim gray suit. Nice looking suit. Oh, boom, poof, he's gone. Several years later, he was traveling on the same road, heading in the opposite direction. And suddenly, 
he realized he was wearing the same gold-trimmed gray suit he had seen on the Vanishing Man years beforehand. So, therefore, Goethe was his own doppelganger. So, like, you guys are down there, hey, you know, you, you know, could make me dinner. <laughs> well, if it was yourself that you saw, then, yeah, you know, try to communicate that uh, that you're having dinner. But basically, what's happening here is some sort of time slip. So, when he was first walking toward Drusenheim, um, on the, on the way to have his affair, he saw a future version of himself walking in the opposite direction. It wasn't until years later, he's walking in the opposite direction, and it hits him. Wait a second, I'm wearing the suit, and I'm walking down the road. Wow, okay. So some sort of, of time slip several years apart. We're going to take a look at another uh, similar type story, a little bit more detail. Um, and, and I actually have a, a couple of these stories in my book, A Walk in the Shadows, uh, because I, I get a lot of times the, the question, uh, are doppelgangers shadow people? We have another story about that here soon, so keep that question uh, in, the, in the back of your mind there. So we're going to take a look at uh, Meg Fisher's story. She writes under the name Rosella C. Rowe, um, and this is her book. Uh, the Haunting at 2095. So when she was a teenager, she woke up one night, the sound of someone putting away dishes in the kitchen. She got up, walked down the hallway, and had a peek. She saw the kitchen lights were on and assumed her mother was awake putting away the dishes. She continues down the hall into the family room uh, near the side uh, of, the, uh, of the kitchen and saw her mother walk in from the door to the garage and into the kitchen. I guess there was a, a door in that kitchen that went out to the garage. And when you know, Meg looked into the kitchen, her mother wasn't doing dishes. So the whole doing dishes part is a little iffy here. But she saw the mother, her mother, walk into the kitchen from the garage. And her mother just stopped like dead in her tracks when she saw Meg. And she remembered details here that her mother was wearing her favorite jeans and a teal sweater. And she remembers her mother looking tired and gazing at Meg as if she didn't know who her daughter was. Meg asked, Mom, what's wrong? Her mother looked even more panicked. And as Meg reached out for her, her mother ran off through the kitchen, down the hall, and into the bedroom. This just, like, of course, totally shocked Meg. She ran after her. And when she got to the bedroom, she found her mother sleeping in the bed wearing a nightgown. Now, just seconds beforehand, she had seen her wearing jeans and a teal sweater. But now here she is, you know, asleep in bed wearing a nightgown. So she approached her mother, tapped her on the side to wake her up. And as her mother woke up, she asked Meg if everything was all right. Uh, Meg had asked her if she'd been sleeping long, her mother, and her mother told her that she'd felt sick at work, came home early, and went to bed hours beforehand. So she had already been in bed for a long, long time. Not in the kitchen, you know, walking in from the garage. So the question then becomes, and, and you know, when Meg tells the story, she's like, this was a doppelganger of my mother. And it's like, yeah, for sure, absolutely. But let's examine it a little bit here. 
you know, who was this doppelganger in the kitchen that looked like Meg's mother? You know, was it, was it a ghost? <laughs> was it some sort of haunting or paranormal activity? Uh, or was it something else? And this again is where I believe it's some sort of time slip. So for whatever reason, in that moment in time, uh, and it's hard to know if it was a, I'm going to say it was probably the mother in the past because she was familiar with the, um, with the pants, with the jeans and the sweater. Um, I mean, it could have been in the future too. It's hard to know exactly which time, but when her mother walked in and looked at Meg, Meg probably looked either a lot younger or a lot older than she should have been, which is what freaked out the mother. There's two moments in time overlapping. So the, the mother walking in from a different point in time, of course, freaks out because it's like, this is not the age that my daughter's supposed to be. What in the world is going on? <sighs> Takes off toward the bedroom, freaked out. And when she gets there, apparently returns back to her normal place in time. Meg, meanwhile, goes running down the hall to see what in the world happened to her mother and finds her actual mother from that point in time, the real point in time, asleep in bed like she should be. So it's some sort of, of time slip, which we've talked many, many times before. Um, we talked last week about consciousness with Andrea Perrin's story of the farmhouse in Rhode Island, the conjuring house, where um, where her mother witnessed the, uh, the people from another point in time, the 1700s, and they looked at her as if she was the ghost sort of thing. So the thing we don't know is how her mother viewed her in that moment. You know, other than a different age, yes. Did she see her? Did she see Meg fully formed? Did she see her as an apparition or a shadow or something like that? We don't know. Um, but we know if Meg saw her fully formed as if it was her mother right, right there, fully formed. So an interesting doppelganger experience as again, a time slip, like we just saw with Goethe, just, um, a little bit, a little bit different, <laughs> but I'm thinking as we go through this, that is possibly what many of these doppelganger cases are that it's not an evil twin sort of thing that you know the uh you know that the gates of hell have unleashed into the world to you know wreak havoc in your life or whatever it's a time slip so and um so sarah's asking could it be a manifestation created by an out-of-body experience we will talk about that here shortly and, um, or could have been a dimensional slip, her mother from a different dimension. Yeah. Or, or a point in time. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So this story here, I added this to the most recent version of a walk in the shadows. So what I did when I was, uh, recording the audio book, there's because the original audiobook first edition came out when I first released uh, A Walk in the Shadows over two years ago. 
But when I released the second edition of the print version, I didn't re-record the audio at that point. It was so it was kind of unusual. I had first edition audio, second edition print. So finally, this past winter, I recorded the second edition. But I added more material, including this story here. And the print version now has like 10 extra pages as well. So um, so those that got the, the book last year at events or even online, um, your, your book's outdated. <laughs> I've got 10 more pages in there. But here's one of the stories from it. So this was um, an interview I did with Jim Harold on his podcast, Ghost Insight, uh, back in November. And in this account, a certain young man walked into his kitchen when he was a child. Uh, and he got totally freaked out when there standing near the kitchen table loomed a tall, dark, hooded figure. Of course, the boy was very frightened and ran off. So this is, okay, hooded shadow person experience, right? Well, hold that thought there for a moment. Years later, he's much older, and he's standing in the kitchen. He's at the table, and he's making a sandwich. He's also wearing a hoodie. And in the doorway, he suddenly noticed the shadowy humanoid form about the size of a small child that ended up running off. So it was then that it occurred to him that what he was gazing at when he was, when he was a child was actually himself in the future, him in the hoodie making the sandwich. And then those years later, when he's at the table in the hoodie making a sandwich, he sees the shadowy form of a child, which was him from all those years beforehand. So here's a case of, you know, most people would say it's a shadow person experience, right? I mean, you know, before you had the corresponding event later on, if, um, you know, if that boy, when he was whatever age he was, uh, I don't know the exact age, just he was a young child. If he had told that story couple years beforehand, before he was older and making the sandwich, people would, all, would chalk that up to, you know, shadow person frightens a child. You know, maybe, you know, they might even say, oh, that's the, you know, the dark entities are going after the innocent ones. Well, no, <laughs> not in this case. Uh, because obviously, as we see later on, when he was much older and he saw the shadowy child, it was himself. Again, a form of time slip. But in this case, whatever that vibration is, that, that resonance that causes these things to echo between the different moments in time, doesn't seem powerful enough. In that, in that particular moment, it was not uh, a powerful enough resonance to create the full, the full effect, like what happened with Meg, like what happened with Goethe, where they saw people fully formed. With this boy and young man, he only saw as much as a shadow. So it's a shadow person experience. That's also a doppelganger experience. That's also a time slip. There we go. <laughs> this stuff is fascinating. Th these, these type of stories absolutely fascinate me. And, um, uh, yeah, Sarah, uh, as you as you say there, it's suggestive of the stack time theory. Absolutely. And that's where, um, as I'm writing the book, that's what I'm going to to tie it into. So I have um, I have a complete chapter 
on stack time theory, finally going to explain the entire thing. But then um, with uh, doppelgangers, the doppelganger effect, there we go. And so the other one, okay, so that was Jeanette Kemp. Okay, thank you, Jeanette. <laughs> yeah, it's coming across. And um, I'll put the branding uh, or the banner back up here so that uh, you can get those settings correct. All right. So those are time slips. Let's take a look at a, another possibility here. Okay, we're going to go to, we, we talked about Goethe. He was in Germany. We're going to go to France now. Emily Saget. So Emily Saget was a 32-year-old French school teacher in the 19th century, uh, mid-19th century. One day in 1845, while she was writing on the blackboard in her classroom, her doppelganger appeared right beside her. Thirteen students in the class witnessed Emily's double standing right beside her, copying each move Emily made precisely. The only difference is that the doppelganger wasn't holding any chalk which is really kind of reminiscent of some sort of strange mirroring effect. So what it, when I hear that story, what I'm, what I'm thinking is there was some sort of strange anomalous activity happening in that room to create this moment in which maybe some sort of shift, maybe mirroring is not really the right word because it wasn't opposite. It was basically another one of her standing right next to her. Almost like the energy was shifted to the side. And we've talked about inter, uh, interdimensional phasing before. And of course, it's not going to be holding, she's not going to be holding the chalk because the chalk is physically in her hand over here. But there's enough of her energy that is projected off to the side doing the exact same thing she was. Keep the word projection in your mind for a moment. Okay. Let's go to another event with Emily. So during the next school year, her double was seen several times. But the most amazing of these was when 42 students, 42, witnessed Emily working in the school's garden, gathering flowers, yet her double suddenly appeared in a chair before them in the room in which they were sitting. Their heads turned you know, to and fro as they saw their teacher sitting in the chair, yet through the window, they also saw her working in the garden. Two of the girls of these 42 approached the doppelganger in the chair to touch her, but they stated they felt a strange resistance in the air. Moments after their attempt, the Emily of the image of Emily Saget in the chair slowly vanished. So to me, this is some sort of projection where you know the first instance of this where she's in the room writing on the chalkboard it's just simple projection of doing exactly what i'm doing right now the other one here and there are several accounts but this is kind of the the most one of the most famous ones this one she's doing some gardening and all of a sudden, she's also sitting in the chair. Now, many times when we're doing something 
uh, could be gardening. Uh, I know it happens when I'm mowing the lawn. Um, happens to people when they're doing dishes. Happens to people when they're driving. It puts you in like a little bit of a meditative state because you're just kind of mindlessly doing these different tasks and your mind kind of disconnects a little bit from what you're doing. It's, it can be very, very meditative, almost like trance-like. And so what I think was happening with, with Emily was she's doing her gardening, goes into that meditative sort of trance, and a part of her is projecting itself into you know the other room you know through the window and, and sitting in in the chair so um so it's a mental projection some sort of astral travel i believe is what was happening and it was strong enough that people could actually physically see it so this kind of goes back to when i suggest uh like some shadow entities that are witnessed may actually be somebody's astral projection um this kind of you know lend some credence to this so again we're seeing you know that definition doppelganger because it's a it's a twin but it seems to be more of a projection now this is very local you know standing next to her in the classroom or you know she's outside and suddenly the the projection of her is in you know through the window and sitting in in the room okay what about a projection even farther away because uh, you know I'm talking with my uh, with one of my theories that some of these uh, shadow entities are are projections of of people astral traveling. How far can they go? You know, some people talk about being able to astral travel to uh, other planets. So we're going to talk about Sister Mary Jesus. Uh, she was a Spanish nun in the 1620s. And this is a really, really interesting story. So Father Alonso did, uh, I'm going to butcher the name, sorry. Father Alonso de Benavides, de Benavides, sorry, encountered the Juminos Native American Indians in the New World. Remember, this is, you know, 1620s, so, you know, Europe is still colonizing the Americas. Uh, this was in New Mexico, or what is now New Mexico. And he discovered that these Native Americans, these Jumanos, already practiced Roman Catholic rituals, carried crosses, and knew the Catholic invocations in their own tongue. Since they had never met Spaniards before, this was absolutely amazing to Father Alonso. So he asked them how they came to know these practices. And the Jumanos told him they'd been instructed by a woman in blue who had been coming to them for years and taught them this religion in their own language. So Father Alonso returns to Spain with this fantastic story, reported his findings, and discovered that there was this sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda who claimed to have traveled to New Spain in spirit to reach out to the Native Americans there. Several eyewitness accounts describe Sister Mary falling into trances where she would suddenly become light as a feather with just a, the slightest breeze able to blow her around. When she would awake, she could recall extremely specific details of the geography she saw, people she encountered, including the garments people wore. 
It's believed that she, that her double, her doppelganger, appeared to more than uh, 500 times to Native American tribes across New Mexico, Texas, and Arizona. And for the 400 years since that time, there's been an active movement to canonize Sister Mary as a saint in the Catholic Church for this. So this is definitely a case of an identical form of Sister Mary walking around in North America in the 1620s. Um, you know, certainly not an evil twin sort of thing. Whatever your take is on, um, yeah, Catholics trying to proselytize Native Americans in in the New World. Um, here you have a doppelganger story again, a type of projection because she was physically still in Spain, and witnesses there are saying, "Okay, she's going into these trances." You know, in such a deep trance that, you know, you could just, you know, blow her over and, you know, she's going to be like, I guess, on the ground. I, I, the whole light is a feather thing um, is a little vague. But into such a deep, deep trance that she is actually astral projecting a full figure, her whole form that people can see and talk to and interact with across how many thousands of miles is that from Spain to New Mexico over the ocean? Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. So doppelganger story, that's an astral projection. So we're seeing that these, these doppelgangers, you know, like true doppelgangers, doubles of ourselves, when we see them, it's not, again, it's not this, you know, evil, being like the, the whole fairy changeling lore. Um, you know, it, it's not this physical being that's coming, you know, forth from like the gates of hell to, you know, take on your form, you know, kidnap you and and then become you sort of thing and and do nasty evil things. They're more like time slips and astral projections. So all right. Let's bring this back around to, uh, I told you we'd you know, keep some of these things in mind. We're going to bring it back to deja vu here uh, real quick. So let me check out some of your um, questions here. So, okay, Connie, several accounts there had to have been something up with her. Did anybody ever check her out? Maybe she had some kind of powers. Um, yeah, I mean, they actually witnessed her uh, in the trance, in the meditative state. So... You know, as far as checking her out medically, I mean, we're talking 1620s. Now, think about this. Because she's a nun, it's cool, right? Because she's a nun and she's proselytizing Native Americans in the New World, you know, trying to bring them to Jesus sort of thing, um, that's fine. That's totally cool. Now, if she was not part of the Catholic Church, if this was just some woman in a village somewhere, she would have burned at the stake as a witch, especially in Spain. So, yeah, which is sad. All right. Um, and yeah, Sarah, if uh, if these accounts are true, it's suggested that interdimensional self exists beyond mind, body, and spirit. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, with the Emily Saget, uh, resistance could suggest an electromagnetic field. Yeah, it's, it's uh, kind of interesting, the idea of uh, the resistance there with Emily and with um, and with Sister Mary. So, you know, the paintings, 
show her, you know, uh, like touching people. Obviously, she's talking to them. She's having an interaction with them. But like, you know, we got the the child here with her. We don't know the specifics if you know, she was actually able to to touch people. But, you know, she did have some sort of solid physical form, even though it was a, a, an astral projection of herself. So, um, so yeah, there there is some sort of, I mean, you know, when you go to touch somebody, I mean, you you, you do feel their their energy. You know, we all have that toroidal field of energy surrounding us, and that is going to extend to the projection as well. You know, it's 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 consciousness, it's your energy, it's part of you. Uh, and with these particular people, they are in such a deep trance or meditative state that it is fully forming them to something that's you know pretty much solid. So uh absolutely fascinating. So, all right, we're going to bring it back around to, to deja vu here uh, real quick because I, I, I told you we'd, we'd wrap it back into that. So um, some researchers have linked the deja vu feeling with uh, premonitory dreams. Scientist Arthur Funkhauser thinks dreams are the cause of memories of the future. Premonition, okay, that's basically what that is, right? So he did some tests. Uh, and after a series of texts on Oxford students, he concluded that 13% of them had had these premonitory dreams. And a 1988 American study confirmed this hypothesis. So this is, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So some of the conclusions from here is that deja vu may be a form of psychic experience related to certain dream experiences. Therefore, the new but similar places we encounter may be places we have visited during our out-of-body experiences while sleeping. So I, I get, I, I got a kick out of that statement. That they may be places we have visited during our out-of-body experiences while sleeping. So right there, they are recognizing that in our sleep state, we can very easily have an out-of-body experience and project ourselves somewhere. I mean, a lot of people speculate that that could happen, but in this study, they're just flat out saying it. So you get into a deep of enough of a sleep, you get into enough of a trance state, you know, some sort of uh, meditation, and you're projecting yourself somewhere. And so... Their idea is that when you're dreaming and you're visiting these different places, I've had premonitions before, and you end up going and visiting one of these places. And then later on, you go to that place for whatever reason, you know, whether it's a place you've always wanted to vacation or whatever the case may be, and you're like, I've been here before is because you were, but it was your projected self, your doppelganger that visited while you're sleeping or while you're meditating or whenever it was. So it was you, just not your physical self. It was your, your astral self. Uh, so, and then, of course, we could also get into the idea of, of past lives. There was a, you know, you had a past life that was at these locations. That happens too, where you get to a place that's, you know, familiar enough 
different topic for another day. We've talked about it before, but sometimes you go to these places and you're like, I've been here before. And that could be, um, you know, the, the whole you know, past life experience coming forth in, in your current life. Uh, but some of these are, are your spirit, your soul, your consciousness projecting. It, it's an astral projection ex experience. It is, which is, as we've seen here, a type of doppelganger experience. So, all right. Let me uh, grab any last comments and questions here. Um, all right. <laughs> Sarah, I need to switch places with my doppelganger and go on vacation. That would be that would be a low cost way of going on vacation, you know. Um, instead of you know buying a ticket and getting on a flight, just project yourself there and experience it. <laughs> that would um, you know save us a few bucks on the uh, the whole Ireland tour. But uh, I kind of want to physically stand there in this form and and not just my astral self, not just my doppelganger. I want it to be this guy. Uh, so, all right, everybody, that is going to wrap it up for this evening. Again, those that are listening to the podcast later, please join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m., ConnectedUniversePortal.com, 30-day free trial to check it out. Uh, you get access to all kinds of great material on the back end. And then, of course, you can join us for the uh, weekly interactive class every Wednesday night. Uh, thank you, everybody, for all the comments, questions, experiences, and... Um, yeah, and you're right. Uh, Ireland is, definitely has an energy all of its own. Uh, and yes, Connie, it was definitely fun. Tom, um, you've had some weird dreams. Yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, could could be premonitions. And uh, and thank you as well. So, all right, everybody. And and thank you for posting the link, ConnectingUniversePortal.com. You guys have a uh, great evening. Until next time if time really exists.